Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Bay podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined by Polly Questel today. There is no Nathan Heinchel, but uh, we do have uh, a new manager. And uh, Polly, I'll hand it over to you, fresh off of your uh, Times Radio guest spot. Times Radio UK. Times Radio UK guest spot. We do have a new manager, Ralph Ragnick, six months, then consulting. Don't know how that's going to play out yet. Don't even know if we have a manager for Thursday. A lot of questions still. Yeah. So, um, like many, I'm sure, uh, I did a little bit of a Ralph Ragnick crash course this weekend. Um, most people will know him from gegenpressing and, you know, being the godfather of modern German football or whatever um his time at Hoffenheim and then I believe Schalke and then RB Leipzig is the are the most uh notable managerial reigns of his career but um like you said coming in as a consultant um for the two years beyond being the interim manager um that's kind of what he's known for being a guy who kind of takes a step back and takes more of a sporting director role and that's probably uh what his lasting impact at manchester united is going to be um supposedly he's going to have a hand in picking the next manager um once he leaves as interim but uh the possibility is there obviously that he could be manager beyond this season um but that is somebody, what he did at RB Leipzig. Yeah. yeah and he picked a manager twice because he picked Hassenhutl and then he went back in charge and then he picked Nagelsmann. But like at the uh, right. But in the 2018-19 season, he managed them. Mm-hmm. And it was basically because he felt, oh, there's nobody else. It was there's nobody that aligns with what I'm thinking and there's nobody better for the job. And as you just mentioned he technically will have the power maybe at United to do that, which is, I, I always laugh when people suggested like, why don't we move Ollie upstairs and quote unquote, promote him to a director of football and then hire a real manager. And I was like, well, if that real manager comes in and doesn't have success, like, and Ollie really believes he's the guy, he's the one for the guy. Then as the director of football, he'd have every right to just appoint himself manager. Right. But I think that's one of the biggest questions about this going forward is that for the most part, we know the kind of football that Rangnick will want to play and we'll get into how that'll translate at United this season later. But if we actually give somebody that kind of sporting director role and give them power and support and backing and all of that, it's hard to see things not getting better. It's just that, there are so many worries about whether he'll actually have that sort of power and influence at the club. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. To me, this, I equate this move with when the, it it just feels like the Dallas Cowboys hiring Bill Parcells. And if you aren't familiar with the Cowboys, they are in the NFL and they're owned by Jerry Jones who also acts as their general manager or sporting director would be the football equivalent. And he's not, he doesn't have a football background. He doesn't, he's, you know, what was he like built ships or oil or something? I don't even know. Yeah. Businessman bought the Cowboys, 
and he's just very egotistical. He wants to do it himself. He had success when he first bought the team, so he thinks he can do it all himself. And in like 2004, he hired Bill Parcells to be the coach, and Bill Parcells is a coach who famously wants a lot of power and wants to make decisions about players, etc., and everything. And there was a lot of PR offensive, like, oh, they're both going to play nice. And predictably, like two and a half years later, it ended with Parcells leaving because Jerry Jones was not getting out of the way. And Jerry Jones wanted to do it all himself. And that's what could happen at United is how much power is he going to have? Richard Arnold, who is set to take over for Ed Woodward at the moment, is saying the right things. He's saying my background is not in football and I don't want to learn on the job. I'd rather delegate the football side of things um, to people that know football. And great. That's exactly what Ed Woodward should have done. But we have to see you do that before we can just take it at face value. And then there's just the amount of how much will Joel Glazer get involved? Because it seemed like once Woodward took over, Joel Glazer greenlit Everything on Di Maria. Sure. 10 million pound loan for Radamel Falcao. Sure. Daily blend. Sure. And then he started to rein it back because, well, United were spending money at a ridiculous rate and they weren't getting anything done. And like anybody who signs the checks and a good businessman would say, wait a minute, like, why am I greenlighting all these things when I'm not seeing the returns? You're going to have to give me more than this. And I think um, and money got tight. But he's still meddled. I think you had to go to him with a plan, and he would greenlight it. We need. And he, ed- he would especially greenlight the Galactico name sightings. Right, but then it scaled back. That that did scale back yeah. over the the following years. Like I think if you went to him with a plan, and you said we need this for X reasons. Like it's Harry Maguire, and it's nobody else, and it's going to cost eighty million. But we ought to spend eighty million. He greenlit it, but eventually. But then there was, oh, money's tight. We're not going to we're not going to spend money on Jaden Sancho this year because it's covid and. uh, And other reasons, but he also did get involved at times with Anthony Martial and he said United can't sell Anthony Martial and because he was a big fan of that player. So it's how much is he going to get if he's just going to be the guy where he hires a Ralph Ragnick and says, I'm doing my due diligence and this is a man I can trust. And when he comes to me with an opinion, I'm going to trust him on it and I'll green light it. Then that's good. If if he still wants to get his hands involved, that's not good. So you really just have to hope that he, ha- you have to hope that either the structure changes or that Joe Glazer really wasn't that involved in the last seven, eight years. And it was just Ed Woodward was really bad at his job. And that now Ragnick will have that power and he should be better than Ed, Ed Woodward. Right. And I mean, to be honest, both of those cases seem like they could be true. Um, like Ed Woodward has had famously bad uh, summer transfer windows, notably the David Moyes would. Um, but with Ralph Ragnick now in charge, you also bring in somebody who's got I mean, really, his entire experience is dealing with not that much cash when it comes to recruiting players and trying to 
lean on more anal- analytics department and identifying players at a lower level that haven't been noticed by the bigger clubs yet. And I think those are the kind of signings I, we talked about this in another episode. Those are kind of the signings that Manchester United have really missed on in the last few years. Um, you know, finding a bargain deal. And of course, you know, a lot of transfers coming with the Manchester United tax, um, which by the way, I don't think the $2.7 billion um, TV rights deal is going to help much uh, Premier League clubs in that regard, but I digress. Um, but yeah, if, if Ragnick is given control and is actually trusted and is backed financially, I, it's not hard to see us getting better, but um looking at how things are now and for his interim role well before we get there the key the key okay. is like you said is so he builds with no cash so the key is are are germans stubborn is this like a actual I, question <laughs> like i need him to be a stubborn bastard he needs to be a stubborn bastard and and say oh okay when i was at RB Leipzig, I would have loved to sign a player like that guy. Now that I'm at Manchester United, I can. But when I was and and therefore go and sign him. But at RB Leipzig, because I couldn't sign him, I also saw I would sign these guys. Keep signing those guys. I don't care if we go into if if he gets to make a signing in January. I don't care if the guy comes from Bordeaux and nobody on Twitter has ever heard of him. Yeah. Like the whole thing about, all right. So last year, probably at this time last year, and everybody was saying United need a center back. And they kept throwing out Dayot Upamecano played for RB Leipzig and then eventually transferred to Bayern. Go like, like this is Wilfred and Didi is a name that has been out there many times before. Um, Go sign those guys. Like, stop being like we want all these Leipzig players. We want all these Leicester players. Just you're Manchester United. You should be able. You have the resources to beat Leicester and Leipzig to these players. So go sign them before they go to um to those clubs. And suddenly, instead of having to spend lots of money on 23 year olds and 24 year olds. You'll already have them in your team, and that'll save you money for other signings. Now, for every signing like that that you do get, and and by the way, the ones that don't necessarily pan out, like you could flip them for more money, a la what you just did with Daniel James. Like right. if you swing and miss on a 20-year-old, but he shows some promise, like someone else will take him for decent money. And ideally, too – with the kind of like sweeping changes that Ragnick likes to enact at clubs that he goes to, we're not going to just see effects, you know, hopefully in the first team and players that we bring into play right away. But if you're starting to spend five to 10 million on 18, 19 year olds, that's going to affect your youth setup as well. You're going to start implementing more of a plan in the youth Academy than probably there has been for the last few years. Well, you never have been spending 10 million on some youth players like Hannibal was like a 10 million pound guy. They like just spent big on two guys either this past summer or this summer before. Um, But this is a, this is really something that came in as a recovery move for how the Academy was in the mid 2010s. Yeah. Palestri is a glorified youth player. Um, Ahmad is 
a youth plus player in that he's too good for the U23s, but not quite there at the senior level yet. Um, but nevertheless, he was bought as a 19-year-old who had barely played senior minutes for Atalanta. Might be, like, the, might be the sure. only Premier League player that AFCON will be welcome for. Yeah, right. <laughs> Actually um, get him some playing time. Uh, I mean, at this point, though, I, can AFCON even happen? That's a different subject. Right. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure they'll make the right decision and think about the safety of everybody in, in that regard. Um, but Ragnik, yeah, just make just for every what else I say for every one of these guys that doesn't pan out or that or that you do get. You will also have your Jude Bellingham's 18, 19 year olds who are pursued by other clubs and select a smaller club because they will get more playing time or because even Jude Bellingham would have walked into this United squad. He'd, he'd be playing right now. He didn't choose Dortmund over United because of playing time. He chose Dortmund over United because of the resale value. And like, and he basically said, Birmingham are the club. They, his family wanted to take care of Birmingham city and Birmingham City were the club that developed him. They got a 25 million pound fee for him. They also get 25% of the sell-on. Which could be 25 million. (laughs) Which is another 25 million. But United were like, we're not going to, like, because Dortmund were basically like, we'll sell you in three years. And they'll sell him for 100 million. Uh, That's an absurd sell-on cost. But United were like, we want you to play in our midfield for a decade. So there's no sell-on there. So, like, it's. He in in that regard, he took care of Birmingham City if Dortmund do go on to sell him for a lot of money. But that was the plan beyond that. So you will encounter those types of players. But go out there and and sign a bunch of on like if you end up with some Gabriel Obertans, so be it. But right now, United, they need players that fit the mold. They need young players to be coming through and pushing them. I just look at our midfield. There is no one coming through and, and and pushing. And yes, James Garner is a exciting process and prospect. And Ethan Galbraith is an exciting prospect. And Dylan Levitt is an exciting prospect. That is three midfielders, none of which are with the, the, the club this season. So they can't be knocking on the door. And let's be honest, three midfielders from your academy, if one of them pans out into a squad player, like that, that's good. You can't really expect much more. So we right. we just need more players to be knocking on the door here. Yeah. Um. So looking at the current United team, then um, there was a story by one of our new writers uh, this morning, looking at three attackers that Ragnick is reportedly excited about coaching. Uh, Jaden Sancho is obviously one of them. He's got experience playing in Germany. He's very good at you know create creating in transition, you know, if you win the ball high up the pitch with Jaden Sancho, more than likely he's going to make the right decision. Um, two of the other ones named, though, Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford, players who ideally will be teachable, probably Greenwood more than Rashford at this point. Um, but, you know, still a lot of work to do in terms of the implementing a pressing style. Looking at the rest of this Manchester United roster, though, it's um, – I say roster. I think that's an American word. Looking at the rest of the squad, though, um, it's pretty easy to pick out some holes in terms of somebody coming in and trying to implement a gig-impressing style. 
Yeah. And there's a lot, there's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack in this team in that everyone needs to be on board. Everyone needs to be running. Everybody needs to be in sync because we saw it in the first five minutes against Chelsea yesterday. United were pressing high up the pitch and everybody was in sync and they were moving as a unit and there was fluidity amongst that front three. And when, when someone moved at one point early on, Bruno came all the way over to the right and that left the middle open and Rashford filled in in the middle. And before that even happened, Sancho kind of looked around and said, well, Bruno's where I'm supposed to be. So I better find somewhere else to go. And he started moving to the middle, but Rashford got there first. And then the ball went out to where Rashford was supposed to be. So Fred went there and he just went to where Fred was. And right there was everybody working and going to the places. But at the same time, it still, it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't coherent. It wasn't really that effective. They were good at preventing Chelsea from moving the ball up the field easily and slicing right down, right through the mid, the midfield. But they weren't yet at the point of, oh, we can win the ball back and use this as an offensive tactic. Right. I think, I mean, Chelsea are obviously a really good team at preventing you from transitioning to their defensive side of the field in quick succession. But like you pointed out, there were a lot of those opportunities and a lot of moments where we saw, you know, Aaron Wambasaka and Scott McTominay trying to get involved with Jaden Sancho. And it got to the point where Sancho just couldn't really trust either of them because they were losing the ball in transition so easily. Ah, he's settling in. He said that you knew this was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, I mean, Scott McTominay won man of the match in a pretty questionable The funniest decision. thing in the world because but, he was so bad. <laughs> but on the other side, you have Fred who won the ball up the pitch two or three times. Um, and we saw it uh, against Villarreal in midweek as well. Uh, he was the one who won that chance for Cristiano Ronaldo. Do you, we think that Fred is maybe first choice? I mean, obviously, of the three holding midfielders we have, he's probably got to be first choice. But do we think that his abilities are going to translate well in a sort of deep midfield role? Yeah. Uh, Ragnick is going to love Fred. The only people that don't like Fred are United fans who think that Fred should be be like a Michael Carrick or uh, or just that he gets bossed off the ball too easily. And, and at the very end of the game yesterday, he actually outmuscled Ruben Loftus-Cheek to steal the ball back. That set up, uh, it set up the corner after Ronaldo was like eight miles offside and the ref didn't put his flag up. And then United won a corner and suddenly VAR can't do anything about it, which is still like, I don't think any goal has come from that situation yet, but it's still like a major flaw in VAR. But that came off Fred outmuscling someone from behind. But yeah, Fred is erratic and he can't shoot. And it, it drives people a little nuts. And his passing leaves a lot to be desired, especially if you give him time on the ball. And he also tries to make more expansive passing, but passes. But Fred is anybody who wants to play any sort of defense loves Fred because he is an energy machine who is phenomenal at pressing people, phenomenal at winning the ball back. Uh, just he's an elite ball winner. You just need to play. He is not the defensive midfielder. He plays in front of the defensive midfielder. And there's a reason that United are so good defensively when Matic plays behind Fred because Matic sits and Fred, if Fred gets beat, 
when he engages you. Fred will step up to engage you, which allows you to win the ball higher up the pitch. But if he gets beat, at least you have Matic back in position to handle it. And Matic is very good at just delaying. So he doesn't engage you. He doesn't try to win the ball back because if he gets beat, then that he's not protecting the center backs. He'll just delay you, which allows Fred to get back into position. McTominay sometimes is there. Sometimes he'll, if you beat Fred, he'll engage you. And, and if he gets beat, that's a problem. Or sometimes he's just not in position. Um, and then that makes Fred look worse. So Fred is bang on to be first choice in this Ragnick midfield. I'm, the only games that Fred hasn't started this year, I'm pretty sure, are the ones right after international breaks. Right. Which, which tells you a lot about how the United coaches already see Fred. Yeah. And speaking of, um, Ragnick is supposedly bringing in a few of his own coaches, but United seemed pretty intent on keeping uh, Carrick McKenna in place uh, and some of that staff as well. Do Obviously, there were the rumors that maybe Ragnick had a hand in picking the Chelsea team. Carrick said that that wasn't true. But it did seem like elements of that new style were maybe on the minds of the players at the very least. Maybe. Uh, I don't know. Like, because they pressed more. They didn't, like like I said, they didn't press well. They just, they pressed higher up the pitch. You put Bruno in there as a false nine. He's going to press right. you. But Bruno also, I mean. Sancho's going to press probably, you. Probably to the detriment of the United team at times. Bruno got in positions that normally he probably wouldn't be in, in including defensively, uh, and played some pretty questionable passes out of defense as well that almost led to goals for Chelsea. Yeah, well, that's the... But that's... Mm, that's been Bruno the last few weeks, and part of that is players not tracking back. Um, there was a sequence against Watford where... Juan Bissaka was facing a 2v1 on the right flank. And that's the uh, job of the winger to track back. And eventually we saw the winger track back and even it up. And, oh, wait, that wasn't the winger. That was the number 10, Bruno Fernandez, coming all the way back while Marcus Rashford just walked. And yesterday was something that we've seen a lot of also in that when... United don't have players that can pass the ball. Bruno tends to drop deeper to find, to get on the ball more. And this happens when a lot of the time when McTominay and Fred start together, and then you don't have Paul Pogba on the pitch. He, his touches come deeper on the field and it's been happening more and more the past few games when there's been a noticeable difference in how often this has happened in the last seven games compared to last season, compared to the first six games this season, it's night and day. And you put out a team that was Tellez, who's not a good passer. Eric Bayou can't play on the ball for shit. Victor Lindelof, who's okay. Juan Bissaka, who's not a progressive passer. Then in midfield, Matic, who's okay. Fred, who's not, who's, a little bit worse than okay, but not terrible. And McTominay is not a progressive passer. So, but that back four is atrocious. And that midfield is not one to give them more support. Right. right. 
so Fred, so Bruno just kept dropping deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper to try to find the ball. And that ended up with him ending up in several of these bat in these very deep defensive positions that, um, that led to some, some bad moments. I think when I saw the lineup, it kind of made me think of stacking the box in American football of we're just going to stack the middle with all the midfielders we have and dare Chelsea to beat us everywhere else. 40% of Bruno's touches on Sunday came in the defensive third, which is the, it's actually, that's the, he never comes close to 40% and never came close to 40% last season. This is his third game in a row above 40%, which just tells you exactly where United are right now with everything and how much of a disaster it was. And yeah, you're right. Like Colin is that seemed to be the plan was let's stack the box and, and just defend and defend and defend and defend. And part of that was because, um, what else were you going to do? You don't have Harry Maguire available. You don't have Luke Shaw available. So like your three best ball progressors, Maguire, Shaw, Pogba, not available. So you put those three guys in there. Your midfield is Matic, Fred, and McTominay. Those are not possession guys. So you're not going to like win the midfield battle and possess the ball in midfield and control the game. So what else are you going to do? They they did have a nice, interesting tactic where McTominay was basically tasked with man-marking Marcos Alonso the entire match um, and often fell into into the back line to create a back five. And when that happened, Jaden Sancho dropped into midfield so that they still had three midfielders and it was basically a five, three, two. The issue was. I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> you oh, all that no. Build up. Yeah. The issue, the issue was McTominay seemed to drop in and out of this back five from midfield to right center back randomly and with with no rhyme or reason about it so like at times he was lined up as a center back and then you'd see and there was a situation where he lined up as a center back on a Chelsea goal kick and Marco Alonso was not anywhere near him so like this would have been a right a situation where he could have pushed forward and like actually been a midfielder while still man marking Alonso but instead he was he was back and Chelsea clear this goal kick all the way down and the center backs kind of fall behind him and McTominay kind of just holds his position around the center circle. And suddenly he's in midfield and he's just roaming around midfield. And all the while, Marco Alonso has just moved up the pitch and suddenly Chelsea have the ball on the right side. They switch it over to the left and McTominay turns around, sees that Marco Alonso is about to crash into the box and he's yelling, pointing at him but there's nobody there that could pick him up because everybody else is picking up men and he's just lost. And when Marco Alonso wasn't, and then two minutes later, like United kicked the ball all the way down the pitch and Bruno gets on the ball and McTominay is like right there next to Bruno, like in line with Sancho all the way up the pitch. And it's like, are you playing center back or are you not? 
because what and when when Marco Alonso wasn't around, he there seemed to be confusion of what he was supposed to do. Like I sent you that gift this morning of him lining up as a center back. Alonso is high and wide. Juan Basaka has picked him up. And McTominay never seems to realize that Callum Hudson-Odoi is in between Juan Basaka and him. And Chelsea played this long ball from the back. And Hudson-Odoi easily gets played in. And, and McTominay just jogs back. And at no point does he try to close down Hudson-Odoi. At no point does he realize that Timo Werner's making a late run into the middle. And there's no center back near him. And it's like, maybe I should pick him up because I'm the closest. His unawareness makes it so hard. And then add in that Tellez isn't a good passer. Bailly can't play with the ball at his feet. So in all these situations where you would get Harry Maguire and his calmness, the ball's rolling there and Maguire's going to stop on the ball and take a touch and wait for the pass to open up and, and pass it out of trouble, you just get Bailly or Tellez hoofing it down the pitch. To no one. And then Chelsea are just launching another attack. And this this was the kind of game where, like, I, I think it really kind of showed the it's almost like there's two Americas, except uh, there's two United two sets of United fans, because I thought this was going to be a game where people realize, you know, how much Maguire and Shaw bring to the back four. And also, you know, obviously the McTominay versus Fred argument going on. But. Instead, on Twitter, we get a bunch of people who say Reese James was in Alex Tellez's pocket. And I think I think the fact that Chelsea didn't score really it just kind of skewed the argument so much. Yeah, it skewed the argument so much because this was impressive in that United had no business scoring a goal in this game. They were gifted a goal. Jorginho made a colossal error right to Jaden Sancho and he walked in and scored. And yet it feels like drop points. Right. And it shouldn't. One point was a steal. Yeah. And part of it is that they conceded from a very soft penalty. It, it, that's a 50 50 ball. And like, Wanda if Saka, Wanda Saka is, is, is like a millisecond earlier, he's the one getting fouled. Yeah, he, he doesn't get there. Like, what are you supposed to do if you're Juan Bissaka? You're, you're not supposed to make that challenge? You get out of here. Like, he's he's not even making a challenge. He's literally kicking a ball that nobody is in possession of. And Chelsea get there first. He comes through the back of the leg. The penalty's given. And because the penalty's given, you're looking at that replay. And there is so much contact there that the VAR cannot, in his right mind, say, no, that's not a penalty. But... If no penalty was given, I highly doubt the VAR would have called down to Anthony Taylor and said, stop the game. You need to have a look at this. So it's just like it was a penalty. It was an unlucky penalty. And that's how United concede. But also Chelsea missed a bunch of really good and glorious opportunities. And then on top of that, David De Gea played out of his mind. Right. And I I think you have one or two blocks like within the six yard box, there was at least that one that Wambasaka had on Werner that he could have won the game with late in the game. And there was one earlier in the match, Hudson, Adoy, uh, David De Gea made a, a very nice foot save on Hudson, Adoy three minutes into the match. Um, 
And all the while, like, and yeah, this happened. This happened at Anfield last year. It happened, I think, at Arsenal. Maybe it happened against Chelsea, where at the end of it, when you say, oh, you know, Chelsea kind of, Chelsea were the dominant team and this was a steal and everybody feels bad and they go, well, we had a chance to win it at the end with Fred. Like, so we should have won it. It felt like drop points. And it's like, yes, Fred had one singular chance to win it. But after it went 1-1, that was United's only chance to win it. Now name all the Chelsea opportunities. And by the way, in the 97th minute, Rudiger had a much better chance than Fred. Yeah. And it's like, so yeah, Fred could have won it, but like Chelsea had more chances and were more likely to win because of this. But yeah, like you said, um, it seemed like a game where people would realize how much you miss Bailly and uh, not by uh, uh, Shaw and Maguire. But because Chelsea had all the ball, you're asking Bailly to do the one thing he's good at, defend. And he did. And then when he got it, he just hoofed it away. And to a lot of people, that looks like he's doing the job. Center back, your job, you're a defender. Your job is to defend. And it's like, yeah, but Eric Bailly had a really good game. And he will not be in the 11 on Thursday. Like Harry Maguire is going to walk back into this team. Right. And there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand that. And it's going to be, well, Bailly made a lot of stops. And then what did he do? Gave the ball right back to Chelsea and said, come at me again. And then he made the stop again. But they also relied on Chelsea missing a lot of chances and David De Gea to make all these crazy, wonderful saves. Whereas what Maguire does, and part of the reason that Maguire has struggled this year is because he's gotten caught doing this a few times, is instead of just hoofing it away, he tries to control the ball and say, hmm, well, if we have the ball, you can't attack us. So one, I'm going to stop you. And then after I stop you, I'm going to try not to give it back to you. As opposed to tell us by who, hey, just don't just stop them. And then they come again and they come again. Tells his instinct, which is whenever he gets the ball, I'm either going to hoof it forward or I'm going to cross it. It depends on the part. When when he's defending, he's going to hoof. He's going to hoof it forward when he's in attack mode. It's I'm going to pass backwards or I'm going to whip it across. And there was a situation where United got forward. One of the few times they did, and Sancho got the ball on the left, and Telus came running forward to provide the overlap, and it and um, Sancho didn't give him the ball. They played it to the middle, and they got it out to Fred, who gave it back to Telus now, and then he played a one-two with Sancho, where he overlapped, and Sancho played him in, and Telus never even looked up. He just launched a very nice cross yeah. right to where, right to the danger area, but the not only a single. Not a single United player there, and not a single United player was even making the run. So that's a problem in and of itself. And that's part of the problem when you take at when you play this diamond is like one of the problems with Bruno Fernandez dropping deep is that to get the ball is, yeah, you get him on the ball more. Um, but when you're in a four, two, three, one, you have four players, you have four attacking players up the pitch for the ball to get to where they can go and be dangerous. When Bruno drops deep, you now have three. And unless Paul Pogba or Juan Mata or Jaden Sancho are on the pitch, you don't have a creator there. And Pogba and Mata are different kinds of creators to Sancho. When you play this diamond, or when you play with the back three, as United have been doing in the past, 
you already start with a man down. You only have three guys up the pitch. And when Bruno drops deep, as he did yesterday, now you only have two. So, and none of them are center forwards. Like, at one point, Jaden Sancho got the ball out, running at defenders, and looked up, and it was like, what do I do? Because there's two guys on me, so I can't take on, I can't take them on. But we have, the, like, we're in transition here, and there's no one in the middle of the pitch for me to, like, make a play to. And Tellez plays this ball. It, it, so, yeah, it's a problem that nobody even ran in, but, like, Tellez couldn't even look up and, like, abort and be right. like, oh, I'm not going to play it. Let me just keep it at my foot and pass it back to Sancho because there's nobody making the run. It's when you get it to him there, there's only one thing in his mind, and it's I'm going to whip in a cross, whereas someone like Luke Shaw would just be like, oh, like, I'll just carry this into the box and then play a cutback or something. Like, Luke right. Shaw gets into the box and, and <laughs> gets touches in the box. Alex Sanch- uh, 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 Alex Tellez does not. That's, that's one of those things that – in possession, I think Jaden Sancho is going to bring a lot of good things to just, you know, starting him from the get go and playing him more is that he's somebody who tries to initiate the opposition reacting to you rather than just, all right, I guess I'll play this cross in, which I think United had done a lot under Ollie and, you know, trying to make Martial into that number nine. And in 2019, 20, we saw a lot of instances where sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And then last year it was, you know, a little bit more all over the place. But um, before we go, uh, I guess one last thing. Um, do we think if the work permit for Ragnick processes in time for the Arsenal match on Thursday, do we think that makes a difference on how winnable this game is? That was what I was going to ask you. Like, if I mean, Ragnick is able to manage the team. Right. Should he? Yeah, I mean... I think Carrick has done an okay job these last couple of games of just being very like these are results that there's He's going to been be a lot very of, pragmatic. Yeah, there's going to be eyes on this. It's like what was the best thing I can do to just get out of this with something? And the scoreline definitely flattered us against Villarreal. Um The scoreline flattered us against Chelsea. Like they had <laughs> no business getting a point in that match. They got yeah. three shots. <laughs> yes. It was three shots and two of them came off of colossally bad Chelsea mistakes. It was something you, I might expect out of 16, 17 Man United. Um, so, yeah, I mean, what what do you think? I, I think if, if Ragnick is actually like present at the facility, even before his work permit processes or, or whatever. Yeah, sure. Give him the reins. But if he comes in on like Wednesday then no, I, th- I think it should be. What, like, yeah, that's the thing is what, what do you gain? But okay. So today's a recovery day. It, it, I mean, again, this is how you botch the entire scenario because you had a week and a half to, in, to bring in a new manager, let him start working the players that aren't on international break. And instead you wait until now where, where it's the most busy time of the season. You have a game on Thursday, a game on Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's luckily, not going to stop until January. <laughs> Or February, really. Uh, luckily, Wednesday's game doesn't matter. Next Wednesday's game does not matter. Um, right. And then you have a match after that. And then eventually you have a, an open week because there's a, the League Cup quarterfinal. So you don't have a, a match there. So that's not – so you do get some opportunity. But, yeah, like if Ragnick 
we're talking about it's we're not sure if he's going to be here in Thursday or in charge for Sunday. So at this point, it's like he's probably not going to have his work permit on Tuesday. He's probably not going to have it on Wednesday. So today's a recovery day. Tomorrow they're going to be training. That's going to be Carrick and McKenna. Um, Wednesday training with Carrick again. What's the point in Ragnick then coming in? Because this team, everybody was excited to be like, oh, this team is pressing more. This is, they're already looking like a Ragnick team. And like Thomas Tuchel, who has played and coached under Ragnick, said it best when he said this team, they weren't playing anything like a Ralph Ragnick team. And they weren't. They were just at the beginning of the game. They were pressing higher up the pitch. And, oh, they stayed organized because, oh, by the way, the last two years, they've been a very organized team. And these are all the same players. The one guy who doesn't stay organized was on the bench. Not surprised. They stayed organized and, oh, they went higher up the pitch because they had the energy and and the capabilities of doing that because the one guy that doesn't do it was on the bench. But. Like, what difference does Ragnick coming in on Thursday give to you if he hasn't taken the training and and everything? You you can't you can't even like go over his. You can't even sit there and say, this is what I want you to do. Even if he's around on Thursday, I think the best scenario is you remember. when Arsenal hired Arteta and it came at the exact same time as Everton hired Ancelotti and they played each other and it was like both of those managers are just going to watch from the director's box and then they're going right. to take over the team like the next day. That's the best case scenario here. It was Duncan Ferguson versus Freddie Youngberg. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that's basically what you want Ragnick to do. And then yeah. and then you're in this weird Europa League Thursday Sunday scenario where Friday is like a lost day and you basically have Saturday to get ready for Crystal Palace, who, oh, by the way, have won their last two games at Old Trafford. And are actually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, Oh, by the way, you still only have Matic, Fred, and McTominay in midfield. So your midfield still sucks. Right. Suede tweeted something about, like, hoping Ragnick can, or maybe it wasn't Suede. It was somebody else. Hoping Ragnick can turn Scott McTominay into, like, a Sergio Busquets and, like, my first thought was we're going to find out for sure whether he's going to try or not on January 31st <laughs> like, or when January 31st passes because uh, he's it, not going to sell him. No, I mean, if we bring someone else in or not, because if we're stuck with this midfield for the rest of the season, McTominay is obviously going to have to play and he's going to have yeah. to uh, try but like McTominay, how he fits in this role. McTominay has now played under three different United managers, one of whom is a defensive midfielder and at no point and who has been on the coaching staff the entire time working very closely with the players. And at no point has McTominay developed the ability to pass or just positional awareness and awareness of, Oh, what's going on around you. And yeah, but none of them are German. Right. It's hard to imagine that a German guy is going to come in and, Suddenly, you know what the thing about McTominay is? And Sergio Busquets is like a great person to bring up. When you when the when you pass the ball to Sergio Busquets, like what is he doing before the ball gets to him? He's scanning around the pitch and he knows exactly what he's going to do with the ball when it comes to him. And and he knows what that entails. Like, I'm going to get the ball and I'm going to move it to Xavi 
Javi is not open right now, so I'm going to let this run across my um, run across my body, take it on my left foot, and then make a quick little pass to Iniesta, who's which in turn is going to open up Xavi, and he's going to give it to Xavi. Three three things there, and he knows what I'm going to do first, etc. McTominay always knows the first thing he's going to do with the ball when it comes to him. He does not know the second or the third. And that's why when he can make these one-touch passes, when you win the ball back and you give it to McTominay and it's just a quick pass in the space, he's really good at that. And he makes those passes and he's and and it's good. But when he has time and space on the ball, like you give it to him and then he gets it and looks up and now he's got a find where am I gonna pass? What should I do with it? He 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 really struggles and then he he often just takes the, and then he panics because he goes I've had the ball for too long as if he's a quarterback and there's a defensive lineman about to sack him even if which, which in some cases there is because they realize that he's not going to do anything with the ball right but but in a lot of times there isn't because they realize he's not going to do anything with the ball and like the internal clock still goes off and he goes oh, I got to get rid of it and um. And then he he passes backwards or he passes it square to Juan Bissaka. Like there was a scenario in this uh, against Chelsea where he gets it and he's just like he can't make the first thing he does, so he's just standing there and like he kind of just starts panicking and he he runs a bit, which opens up a beautiful pass to Fred, but he never even looked up. He was just running with the ball and eventually passed back to Bai and like he never looked up to even see Fred which was a very simple pass to make. And Fred's got his hands up and he's, and he's calling for the ball. It's, it happened against Chelsea. Um, real quick. Sorry to interrupt. Um, there's a report just coming up now that uh, Carrington staff were told Rangnick is not going to be in charge until the end of the week. Okay. So um, yeah, it, it happened yeah. against Chelsea. It happened against Atalanta. It happened right at the start of the second half against Manchester City of situations where the ball's coming to him and he he kind of looks around and goes, oh, all right, like I'm, I'm going to let this ball run across my body and take it with my left foot. And he does. And then he looks up and goes, now what? And he gets caught from behind on all three times. He got fouled, I think, on all three, but he never even knew that there was a defender coming behind him. So it was like he made the right play to let that ball run and take the initial defender out of the play, but he didn't know what he was going to do with it after that. And like that kind of vision and development, like you don't develop that at the age of 25. Yeah. So Ragnick is going to have his work cut out for him because it just, it doesn't seem like McTominay fits the Ragnick mold and Ragnick likes, he likes to play direct and he likes to play quick and McTominay just isn't either of those things. Right. Um, all right. So I think that's going to do it for us, uh, today. Um, yeah, we've got Arsenal and Crystal Palace. We'll probably be back next week and hopefully Nathan will be available for that one. So yeah. Uh, Peter Zane.